Our scripture reading for today is Luke 2, 36 through 38. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Welcome, everyone. It's good to see you all. Um, before I give the sermon, uh, I have a quick announcement. And that is starting next week, we'd like to have someone from the congregation offer a response on behalf of the congregation during the liturgy. So when the liturgy says, the Lord be with you, and everyone is saying it at home on mute, uh, we'd like to have at least one Zoom window open on behalf of the congregation so that we can hear the response. And so anyone or anybody of any age uh, or the entire family can do this together. Um, you'd only need to say a few words and so it's, um, it's not a whole lot of things to do, but um, it's just another great way of engaging more with the worship service. And so I wanna encourage you to uh, participate in this way if you can. Uh, if we can get a lot of people involved, then we can set up a rotation like we do with the scripture reading. And so I hope you'll keep that in mind and there'll be more information uh, later. All right, uh, please pray with me. Lord, we thank you. Uh, again, for this day that you have made. And as we are now, uh, it's, we have been reminded uh, that we have entered now into the second Sunday of Advent. Um, as we stare at the light, knowing that you are the light of the world and that in our darkness, uh, we can turn to you. And so God, um, a light in our hearts and in our minds, uh, open our eyes that we might see what you have for us. God, comfort those who need comforting. Challenge those who need challenging. In the hearing of your word, God, help us to find ourselves and help us to obey. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, we met someone named Simeon who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Today, there's a sequel, and it's the story of Anna. Scholars have long, long pointed out that the pairing of Simeon and Anna reflects the Gospel of Luke's particular sensitivity to women. As you can see, Luke pairs men and women as witnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and as the recipients of his healings, and even as paired illustrations in parables. These gendered pairs make an important theological point that the kingdom of God and the good news is broad enough for everyone, male and female, Gentile and Jew, poor and rich. In addition, Luke's pairing of Simeon and Anna, as well as his repeated pairings throughout the gospel is a way of strengthening the truth of his testimony regarding Jesus by having two witnesses in accordance with the spirit of Deuteronomy 19, 
a single witness shall not suffice against the person for any crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. And so that's what Luke is trying to do. Last week, Simeon got at least 10 verses and we heard his words of blessing to God and to Mary and Joseph. Anna gets just three verses today. And though we are told that she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, we are not told what she actually said. It's not recorded. It probably will not surprise you that Simeon's story is more often preached than Anna's. And when, when Anna is preached, if at all, she's usually tacked on as a minor character or as an afterthought at the end of Simeon's story. Rather than receiving equal billing as an equal counterpart witness, Anna is ordinarily relegated to playing second fiddle to Simeon. For example, if you browse through the history of iconography and paintings of Anna over the centuries, she is almost always off to the side while Simeon takes center stage. Simeon gets highlighted because he was the first, because he held the Christ child, because he spoke words of blessing, and if we wanna be honest, because he was a man. And even though he was ready to depart in peace, implying old age and nearing death, he's often shown standing straight and looking strong. Anna, on the other hand, because she comes second and because she lacks status as a very old widow, appears to the side or behind others and looks frail, bent over and leaning on a cane. In some paintings, she stands so far in the back and in the shadows that you can barely see her. These depictions of Anna are misleading and show a careless and biased reading of the Bible, which I hope to show you. Last week, I pointed out three things about Simeon, that he was righteous and devout, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. He's a model of faith. But in comparison, I think one could argue that Anna's life was even more exemplary and enviable. While Simeon was righteous and devout, Anna did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. While Simeon waited for the fulfillment of a personal promise for the consolation of Israel, Anna spoke publicly and ministered to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And while Simeon was led by the Holy Spirit, Anna was God's spokesperson, a prophetess. Simeon seems like a stranger who was led by the Spirit to the temple that day, but Anna was a well-known and constant presence in the temple. Anyone who regularly worshiped there would know her and would have heard her. People would have paid her far more attention than to Simeon because she is a prophet of God. It's no small matter that she is called a prophetess. First of all, prophets were very rare to begin with. 
but she is the only named woman with this title in the entire New Testament. And because being a prophet or a prophetess is so important, in many paintings, and especially in icons, she is shown holding a scroll or a book in her hand as a sign of her speaking the word of God as her prophetic office. In this, she follows a tradition of other women, other women prophets in the Old Testament, such as Miriam and Deborah, Huldah, and the unnamed wife of Isaiah. And notice that in these icons of Anna, she does not look weak or old. Luke further tells us that Anna is the daughter of Phanuel. Since she no longer has a husband, it makes sense to associate her with her father's name. Phanuel means the face of God, and perhaps Luke mentions this to hint that Anna sees the face of God in Jesus. She is also identified as being from the unremarkable tribe of Asher, and this may simply indicate that she is not from the priestly tribe of Levi. In other words, her prophetic role symbolizes the end of the priestly class in the temple system and that God's spirit and God's call is ushering in a new era. Her role as a prophet is through a calling and not through tribal inheritance. This, by the way, is how I've come to understand the meaning of ordination. While only certain men from the tribe of Levi could be born into the priestly office, God can call anyone to the office of prophet, an apostle, preacher, minister, elder, and deacon. As a prophet then, she spoke or preached Jesus to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Considering that Jerusalem had been under Roman occupation for quite some time, every worshiper was probably waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And they looked to prophets like Anna to speak God's promises. I imagine Anna had been daily exhorting every worshiper to remember God's promises, such as those of Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. And as the people waited for the redemption of Jerusalem, I imagine Anna further daily encouraged them with the words like those of Psalm 27. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord on the land, in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It must have been a long and difficult wait. And let's face it, no one really likes to wait. I was reminded of this this week when I saw that the uh, McRib sandwiches were back in McDonald's this Wednesday. I wanted to eat it, of course, on Wednesday right away, but because of my schedule, I had to wait until Friday before I could pick one up for my family and two for myself. 
It took a lot of willpower to wait those two whole days. We want everything sooner than later. And an adage like good things come to those who wait seem to belong to another long ago forgotten time. But faith insists on the discipline of waiting. Faith insists on the discipline of waiting. For example, when God made the great promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, that he would become a mighty nation and that in him, all the families of the world would be blessed. Abraham was 75 years old, not exactly a spring chicken. And he had no children at that time. He probably expected or hoped that God would deliver on his promises that year. But you know what happened? Nothing. Years passed, a decade passed. And when Abraham was 85 years old, instead of waiting any longer, he agreed to Sarah's plan to use their servant Hagar as a surrogate to have a child instead. Abraham had more or less given up at that point of having a child with his wife, Sarah. It's understandable. He waited a decade. But then another decade passed. And when he was 99 years old, God reminded him of his promise and renewed his promise that he and Sarah would have a child. And finally, at the age of 100, he and Sarah had a son. God wanted him to wait 25 years. Can you imagine waiting that long? But you know, I think waiting for a child that long was one of the most important faith lessons that Abraham was able to pass on to his son, Isaac. Abraham probably told Isaac about his mistake of not waiting on God for a child and of all the heartache and all the trouble that it caused in the life of his family because he did not wait on the Lord. So when Isaac got married and his wife, Rebecca, could not get pregnant, you know what Isaac did? Unlike Abraham, he waited. Genesis 25 says this, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. He prayed to the Lord and the Lord granted his prayer. When you read that, you might think, praise the Lord. Isaac prayed and the Lord answered him right away. So easy. But a few verses later, we read this. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him. Isaac was 60 when his twin sons were born. He got married at 40 and presumably he started praying for children right away. In other words, he prayed for 20 years. He waited on God for 20 years. That's what faithful waiting looks like. The same thing is going to happen to Joseph and Mary. All the prophetic words and blessings about Jesus, that he will be a light to the nations, that he will redeem Jerusalem, will have to wait until he's grown. They're going to have to wait more than two decades. He's here, but he's still a baby. 
already, but not yet. Mary and Joseph still have to wait and raise Jesus. As those of you who have raised a child, you know this. It's a crazy mix of awe and exhaustion, of wonder and wondering. Like every other parent, they will have to figure out how to provide for him. They will have to feed him, <clears throat> change his diapers, play peekaboo, and soothe him through his terrible twos. They will have to teach him to read and write and how to use a hammer and make furniture so he can take over the family business. If it were today, they would teach him to wear a mask, to keep social distance, to say thank you to his least favorite uncle, to clean up his room that he will share with his four brothers, and to pay attention on Zoom and to turn his math homework in on time. They will also, of course, take time to worship, to pray with and for him, and do their best to raise him in light of God's promises. Mary and Joseph will learn, as we all must learn, that faith and faithfulness go together. In this sense, I think most people don't really want faith. They just want a temporary and supernatural burst of faith in moments of acute crisis or emergency. When there's an unexpected disaster, when a situation seems hopeless, when they have exhausted all of their own resources and abilities, they then turn to an unknown God out of desperation and wish for a miracle. That's not really faith. Genuine faith is built over a lifetime of commitment, of trust, and of waiting. And there are no shortcuts. Anna is a model for us because she has kept the faith and faithfulness into her old age. A lot of people start off well in the Bible, but not everyone finishes well into their old age. I think of Gideon, Saul, David, Solomon, Hezekiah, and others who began well, but slipped away from God as they aged. Instead, we can follow the example of Anna. Now we assume that Simeon was old because he was ready to depart in peace. In the case of Anna, we know that she is very old. Or I prefer Luke's phrasing, she was advanced in years. The text is a bit ambiguous, and it could mean that she was either 84 years old or that she lived as a widow for 84 years. If the latter is the case, it would mean that she got married when she was around 13 or 14, which was typical for girls back then. She lived with her husband for another seven years and then as a widow for 84 years. That would make her over 100 years old. Whether 84 or 105, she was very advanced in years and lived the vast majority of that as a widow. To lose a spouse is of course overwhelming, but widowhood in the first century was especially difficult. In Acts 6, the first deacons in the church were chosen to care for widows. The first mercy ministry that the church had to develop was for the sake of widows because they were among the most vulnerable and needful members of their community. The hardships of widowhood led the apostle Paul to encourage younger widows to remarry. It couldn't have been easy for Anna. 
She faced not only societal stigma, loneliness, poverty, but probably the pressure also to remarry. Yet there's no hint of bitterness or despair or flagging faith or strength. Rather, hers is a life dedicated to worship, thankfulness, and bearing witness. What Luke is pointing out for us isn't that she's old. He's noting the symbolically important numbers associated with her life and age. She had seven years of marriage. Seven is the perfect number or the number of completion. And then another 84 years of widowhood. 84 happens to be seven times 12. That's not mere coincidence. The numbers hint at the completion of the promise given to Abraham and the 12 tribes of Israel. She, like Simeon, represents the end of the old covenant and prophetically sees in Jesus the dawn of a new covenant, a new kingdom, and a new age. Furthermore, her name is also suggestive. Anna is the same name as Hannah, both meaning grace. And the name Simeon has the same root as Samuel. The presence of Anna and Simeon at the temple is supposed to remind us of the story of Hannah and Samuel. Do you remember? Hannah was waiting for a child for many years and she prayed to God and God answered her with the son Samuel whom she dedicated to God. Samuel was the last judge of Israel before ushering in the new era of kings. And it was foretold that the era of kings would culminate with the son of David enthroned forever. That promise is now fulfilled in Jesus. And just as Hannah and Samuel ushered in a new era, so Anna and Simeon now bear witness to the fulfillment of God's promises. So after all the waiting, as the new kingdom of God begins, Simeon is ready to depart in peace. He's had enough of life and of waiting. But not Anna. She saw in Jesus Christ the redemption of Jerusalem, but she did not pray, now let your servant depart in peace. Instead, as the New American Standard Bible translates it in trying to capture the sense of these, these verbs, at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak, to, to speak of him to all who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She's not stopping. She's getting started in giving thanks. She's continuing to speak, to preach, to witness about Jesus. Now that the kingdom of God is here, now that Jesus has ushered in the new age, she is not ready to retire. Far from it. In our day, I know that many people want to retire early. Maybe some of you are already thinking about it and dreaming of the day when you can take it easy. But what do you imagine yourself doing if you didn't have to work? Now, I hope that at any age, you'll be able to say and pray in faith, I am ready to depart in peace. But I hope that it is never an attitude of resignation from life 
or from the life of ministry to which God has called you. You may not hang out at the church every day and night like Anna did, but as you age, I hope you will strive to be more engaged with the worshiping life of the church. Like Anna and Simeon, you can meet Jesus in worship. As Stanley Hauerhaus notes in his book, Christianity, Democracy, and the Radical Ordinary, that I go to church does not mean I think that Jesus is only to be found there. It just means that he has promised to show up there in a manner that, I can, that can help us discern how he shows up in other places. Or as Jesus said in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, even on Zoom, there am I among them. So with each passing year, I hope you'll be signing up for more, for more committee work, volunteering more to teach the children and youth, advocating more for those in need, going on more mission trips, participating in more FGs, attending more Wednesday night prayer meetings, and fasting more for the world. I hope you will encounter Jesus again and again in worship every Sunday. I hope you will never take the attitude of I'm tired, but the younger ones do it. I hope like Anna, you will continue to speak, to preach, to witness more about Jesus, the Redeemer of Jerusalem, the Redeemer of the world. It's not complicated. As Jesus told the man he had healed in Mark 5, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Just tell people what Jesus has done for you. That's it. I hope like Anna, you can finish strong in your faith. While you are waiting for Christ's return, like her, that you can be fervent in worship, in prayer, in fasting, in witnessing about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. Even though we can't gather at the church every day, even if we wanted to at this time, you can still abide in Jesus Christ every day in times of devotional prayers, in Bible reading, in quiet times. There aren't very many sermons or paintings of Anna by herself. But in the few paintings of Anna as the lone subject, this is what she does. This is what a prophet of God does, pouring over God's word. I hope this is an encouragement to you. She knew Jesus because she knew God's word. It's possible that as a prophet, that she occasionally received an overwhelming vision or flashes of inspiration out of the blue. But I think mostly she knew God because of her careful study of God's word and through prayer. She kept strong and encouraged others even when she was very advanced in age. For those who were waiting for redemption because she knew God's word and she trusted God's word. You and I can do the same. You and I can encounter Jesus in his word as we also wait upon him and discover then what it is that God wants to say to us and to the world. I know that these last nine months 
feel like we've been waiting forever to return to some semblance of normalcy. But isn't there anything else that you are waiting for from God? Can you see the beginnings perhaps of something in this church, something that God might take decades to complete? Can you see as Anna saw the beginnings of God's mighty work in the face of an ordinary infant? Can you pray and wait faithfully for the next several decades for that? Can you plant new seeds of ministry today that will bear fruit decades from now? And while waiting, can you give thanks to God and speak of Jesus to all who are waiting for redemption? Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks for our lives. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have every day, every day to know you. We ask for strength and for hope, for faith and faithfulness, even as we wait and pray. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We ask together as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.